But let me step it back for a second because I don't know how I got to hot Stalin. Hello, you're on the terrace. We are the companion to Night Terrace, which is the time travel comedy for your ears that you've been enjoying. And in this episode, we are going behind the scenes. We are unfurling Series 1, Episode 5, Sound and Fura. Written by John Richards, who is here today. Hello. Hello. You are the co-creator of the series, the head writer as well, and you've penned this one. I'm Vaya. I'm sci-fi curious and a Ramsey Street squatter. And along for the ride this time, we have Night Terrace's sound engineer, David Ashton. Hi, David. Hello. And also co-creator, of course. Yes, everyone. Everyone's a co-creator. Everyone's. A, I'm not. But you're both part of Splendid Chaps Productions yes. that created Night Terrace and a bunch of you all devised the idea mm-hmm. and then split off into episode writers. Yep. Well, how did you put your hand up to write the bloody well, Hitler episode, well, it's John? It's funny how this is the thing where we keep going because it was five years ago and I have this weird feeling we wrote down Hitler episode. Does that ring any bells? No, I, from what I remember, we came up with like a... It's it's a theme park remembering the 20th century and getting it all wrong. wrong. Yeah, and then and then we sort of thought, oh maybe maybe all this was before the Westworld TV series, by the way. <laughs> but of course, long after the film, <laughs> we sort of thought, oh maybe it would be like the 20th century gotten wrong, and they only remember one celebrity. And then we <laughs> sort of said. Hitler. Yeah. And there was a kind of uncomfortable, oh, <laughs> should we go there? Well, also, and then it was kind of like, it was too funny not to. Well, also, there's a bunch of tropes, isn't there? There's a bunch of really famous tropes. Every time travel series does a Hitler episode. Like, yeah. that's a thing. Really? But you look at any of them, there's always going to be at least oh, an episode where they try and kill Hitler. Yeah, that's because that's the ultimate philosophical yes, dilemma. Exactly, yeah. Well, didn't it come up in one of, in, in an election? I think it was in an American election. They, they started asking all the candidates, um, uh, if you could go back in time and kill Hitler as a baby, would you? Or really? Wow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, and then so, Twitter got involved and people yeah. were like workshopping it further. Like, uh, no, you go one step further and you stop his mum. Mum and dad, and dad from dad, eating, yeah. yeah. And, and then and, you don't have to kill a baby. Yeah. And, yeah, and it's how, a win-win. And also we mentioned, you know, a few episodes ago that, that when we started working this series, we all universally agreed that Nazis were bad. And we are now in a world where <laughs> that's been thrown into question. So we started off thinking that there was a Hitler trope, that, but it was the history, it was the misremembering of history. And yeah. it occurred to me this morning, I don't know, if you remember this, David, there was a series, there was a BBC History of Music series called Possibly Dancing in the Streets, if I remember. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I remember big, the big history of rock and roll. Yeah, and David and I were about, yeah, uh, contemporary music. And David and I were both watching. And I remember that when it got to the episode about electronic music, which was like episode eight or nine, you and I both went, this is all wrong. Because it was in a field that we knew quite a bit about. And then the realisation that meant probably the previous eight episodes had all been wrong as well in the same way. And yeah. And that realisation that people just do not remember anything. And for me, this whole episode is written around one scene, which is not obvious, this is where it came from, but the, there's a really beautiful scene where Jackie and, and, um, and what well, Eddie and Anastasia sort of discuss. Eddie's really angry about this and Anastasia's trying to explain to him, look, it's, we don't know these people, we don't know this culture, we don't know why they've remembered this. And she points out that he does have a T-shirt that says Chairman Meow. Now, I did have a T-shirt that said Chairman Meow. Because it's a great joke. Because it's a great joke. And I was always a little bit guilty when I was wearing it. Because I went, is this, is it, you know, but it is a cat. He is wearing a hat. You know, and, and that was also my question about, I guess, how do we remember history and how do we react to history? And let me tell you this, if you Google young Stalin, you'll be met with 
hot Stalin. Really? And you'll be wanting to put him on a T-shirt. Mm, there you go. Uh, but well, let me step it back for a second because I don't know how I got to hot Stalin. <laughs> <laughs> I think every road leads to hot Stalin. I need to start with multiple robot Hitlers and how did we bloody get here? So we've got Dr Anastasia Black trying to determine how her terrace house is actually able to time travel. Uh, and there's a knock at the door and it's Adolf Hitler. But it's not. It turns out he's one of multiple robo-Hitlers that are the staff of a magic kingdom, quote-unquote, which is, as David said, a theme park based on 20th century history. And Anastasia is reluctant to pass judgement over the staff just because they're all Hitlers. Well, I mean, and there is one human staff member played by Alan Brough quite beautifully. Oh, well, yeah, we need a minute for Barry in a yeah, minute. Bar- that, oh. Barry is gorgeous. And, there is, and that's part of the thing is that she, she's not feeling ill towards Barry. There's a point she points out that no one here is celebrating Hitler. You know, like there's nothing in this theme park that is a celebration of Spoken like a true white supremacist (laughs) (laughs) denier. And also that no one's coming here either is the other thing. Yeah, and that that, there is that great great bit where it turns out there's 30,000 of them and and he's going, why didn't you at least make it World War II themed? And he's going, hang on, why would World War II have 30,000 Hitler? Yeah, Eddie is really um, caught up in the anachronisms and the fact-checking. Of, and well, he's also, uh, he's a full, full voice of, of you know, um, responsibility. And, and, you know, I think Eddie in this is, is, yeah, he represents a kind of purity of vision going, no, this is wrong. You know, Eddie feels this is wrong. And I guess Anastasia's maybe had a murkier life than his willing to see more shades of grey in it. And it does interrogate that question about how much does um, how much responsibility does pop culture have when they're mocking problematic mm. figures in yeah. history or the news or politics. Yeah, yeah. When you paint Donald Trump as an orange cartoon or when you call Australia's one of Australia's fleeting prime ministers, ScoMo, instead of Scott Morrison. Yeah, are you are you humanising them or are you... One of the, and one of the things, I'm always fascinated by Hogan's Heroes because Hogan's Heroes is a show I don't think you could make now. Like now we would find mm-hmm. that really offensive, I think, in a way. And when it was made, it was just close enough to the real war that almost everyone in Hogan's Heroes had had an experience in World War II. And most of the Nazis in Hogan's Heroes, or Germans, I think I think Hogan's Heroes, because as I said, they're not Nazis or something. Anyway, um, they were played by Jewish actors. Oh, wow. And that's what we did here as well. I, I said we definitely needed a Jewish actor to play Hitler. So Phil Zachariah plays Hitler. See, mind-blowing. Yeah. Yep, no, amazing. We, we wanted a Jewish actor. It's it's like the, the tiniest act of rebellion you could ever do, but at least it's... Something. I like it. Yeah, and so... It's like Ariana Grande putting a rainbow on her stage while she plays Coachella, which is run by anti-LGBT Yeah, people, you know, it's like you, apparently. You, you do whatever you can. And I don't know, and I just like the idea. So Phil Zachariah, who... Phil's mostly famous for um, doing this one-man show where he plays Charles Dickens, so it's nice to, <laughs> <laughs> to give him that to his and, Correct me if I'm wrong. Is he the father of he, Splendid Chap Lee Zachariah? He, he is the father of, of Lee Zachariah, although that's not why we hired him. I, I think as far as potentially offensive comedy goes, it was really important for us, and we did sit and talk about it, is is that we're clear what the joke is and and what we're saying about it. And and I think it's clear in, in the script that John's written, you know, that we're not trivialising what the real Hitler did or what the Nazis did in World War Two. The, the point of the joke is someone misremembering history. Yeah, it's mangled in that. And I really like that thing. So, you know, Hitler is such 
a famous figure of history. The idea that he stuck him, but then he, um, when Barry talks about it at one point, he, you know, he mentions things like a James Dean poster and a, like a bunch of other things that Hitler has been accidentally kind of misremembered into. Like there's that sense of and Marilyn Monroe being then, you know, kind of matched up. So the idea of, of history becomes this jumble of half-remembered things, and I think that's true if we were going to talk about something from a thousand years ago. Like, you know, even what we know about it is vague. Yeah, and it was interesting to think where you threw in, like, um, sort of random street names and, and, like, there's just... Mm. It's just a really weird bunch of stuff of what Barry has remembered from the 20th century. Yeah, so let's talk about Barry, because Barry's glorious, voiced by Alan Bro, TV, radio, presenter, Kiwi... Born. Very Kiwi. And he really gets to lean into this. And he chose that. He chose to go full Kiwi. Like, like yeah, the character was definitely written as a New Zealander, but it was <laughs> funny how he, he yeah, decided to do the full-on New Zealand voice. And then, uh, he also added a couple of, of New Zealanderisms into it. So listening to it back today, um, stink. Yeah, he put the word, yeah. 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 There's a couple he, he put in that, that I hadn't written, but he just, you know, wanted to push it a little bit further. So Alan Bro lives and works in Australia, as does another Kiwi performer, Cal Wilson, mm-hmm. and they, I guess, take away a lot of that Kiwi lilt from their accents in their work. And I love when they get to jump back into it and just really speak with their original accent. Well, also, but that, that accent that Alan's using, that's not even um, an accent he ever had necessarily, but it's one that a lot of youth have in New Zealand. And he oh. said because his character was in the future, he wanted to go with what kids sound like now. You know, yeah, it was, it was actually very cleverly thought through. Like, it was, a, yeah, that idea that he wanted to be, you know, so New Zealander that... So he is, I guess, the proprietor of this theme park. He's a small business owner. He is, he is. <laughs> He's got these Hitlers that are all connected by one, is it chip in one of the... It's, yeah, the, it's like you basically, you know, like they're all connected via Wi-Fi or something. If you imagine the Wi-Fi is the, the controller. Yeah, and that's got the, the program on it because that's not how Wi-Fi works. But, you know, you get the idea. It's in the cloud. <laughs> yeah, it's in the cloud. <laughs> yeah, perfect. They're and, the cloud. It's a thing. And right by the cloud is a bolt of lightning that hits one of the Hitlers. <laughs> The Uber, is it the Uber Führer? Uh, it's, just, it's just one of them, I think, at the beginning. But I yeah. can't, yeah, I just, yeah, that's, that's again, I do like a science fiction trope. And things oh. being hit by lightning and turning evil is a, is a, I mean, I've loved that ever since I was a kid. It happens a lot in science fiction. I remember even recently, and by recently, I probably mean 20 years ago, there was that film about a spy plane being hit by lightning. And just to see people were still using <laughs> that was kind of so exciting. And so to include that, and then do that weird lampshading about it and that lovely thing where Jackie gets to say how, you know, New York in the 30s got attacked by a toaster and that's why they call toast death bread to this day. Yeah, can you unpack <laughs> that for me, John? No, that's all you need to know. Great. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a real thing. Look it up. <laughs> Google it, people. <laughs> Hashtag death bread. Well, I'm celiac, so I do refer to it as death bread. So... Did you guys come up with the park attractions as a group or did John, you had, did you have a great old day writing the script, churning out all these different landmarks in the theme park? Yeah, I, I think I think I did. I mean, it was Pet Shop Boys Drive. Yeah, that was, <laughs> I think. That was, and I think, I don't know. I just, that would have to be one of yours. I'm just a fan of the Pet Shop Boys. I'm not even sure why I picked them. There were, there, yeah, there were a couple I picked just randomly because there were things I liked, like, yeah, they've been Alan Turing. And then there were a couple of, like, um, Fatty Arbuncle, who, you know, is a disgraced Hollywood star with a terrible career and awful decisions, and um, we, we named something after him. Uh, so I think it was, again, meant to be that idea of the randomness of what gets remembered, which I think is true of history anyway. Like, it's so... 
it seems so hit and miss what we do remember. And yeah, and even even now remembering the twentieth century, yeah, you know, there's there's certain figures who are hugely famous in their time who are just completely forgotten. And there's now. references in like Bugs Bunny cartoons, and no one actually knows what he's talking about because he was referring to like you know, ads of the day or common expressions. Um, you and I have both worked on quiz shows, and uh, Vea, and I'm sure you have the same thing I did, where you you. When you're checking um, a question for, for a quiz mm-hmm. show where people win money, um, legally they have to be like airtight and you mm-hmm. discover that nothing is true. Like yeah. it's, it's amazing how nothing we know. Yeah, or just people play telephone and facts get misremembered and misconstrued. And trying to find the, an original source for a fact and you suddenly find there isn't one. Or, yeah. or three people did something before the one we think is the first. Well, or, one know. of the fascinating facts I checked that was incorrect was that there's a quote that people always attribute to Gandhi. Is that if you can't handle me at my worst, you don't deserve me at my best? <laughs> is, is, is that the one that Gandhi said? That, that by the way, Marilyn never said. Yeah, because that, that, that was one that um, I remember checking and, and going, no, no, she never said that. The, the, the quote along the lines of if we're to achieve peace in the world, it begins with the children. Mm-hmm. And people attribute it to Gandhi, but it was actually Gandhi was quoting a talk he'd seen Maria Montessori do. Oh, right. So it's actually Maria Montessori's quote, but she doesn't get remembered mm. in history. It's and so many Gandhi. of those quotes yeah. too. Yeah, like, and women hold up half the sky is one apparently by Mao, but again, you can't actually find anything to directly. Tight to it. And it gets really, and then it was things like I'd be coming home from work going, There are no oceans. <laughs> There's only one ocean. There are no official boundaries for oceans. And then I got the one where I came home and going, Music doesn't exist. Because <laughs> it turns out it doesn't. And, oh, no. and so, yeah. yeah. So don't work for a quiz show. Don't make a theme park based on actual events. <laughs> and just know that nothing is true. And if you do make a theme park, get some quiz show researchers to fact check your theme park. <laughs> so then, of course, the plot twist, all the Hitlers turn evil. Now, just as a little sidebar, uh, I want to step into a segment I call Talking Black. Such a terrible name. It's, it's like talking back. It's a very good pun. Well, in this, I just like to highlight some Anastasia-isms that have mm-hmm. taken my fancy. Like when she sasses Eddie, they're having a little spat. I'm really living for their spats. And she says... Ugh, men never want to ask Hitler for directions. <laughs> the two of them in this episode, it's because I didn't, I'd forgotten how few actors there are in this. Like, there were only four speaking parts in this episode. Um, although, you know, or there are hundreds of speaking parts, but most of them are Phil. So, you know, it's, it's hard to tell. Plus, there's the squidgy piggy. Oh, but, oh, plus the squidgy piggy, you're quite right. But it was funny, just, just, it's so wonderful to give them that time together, Eddie and, and you know, Anastasia, because you really feel a bond. Even if they're carping at each other, there's a sense of, yeah, I don't know. There's a free song and I don't know and it's you, your brain wants to make it romantic. Like it feels romantic, but I think it's just an it's a natural chemistry. Brother sister or something, isn't it? But not even that. It's like yeah, there's there's a sense of them no, just being be a fan fiction for it. Yeah, just being really great mates. And yeah. and that thing we talked about how they are I think making each other better in a way and that I really like. And that he isn't afraid to call her out on things like when he sasses the book that she's got in her house, The Mature Woman's Guide to Being Single and Sane. <laughs> By Stephanie Bateman-Graham and her cats. So a couple of things we should mention that, yeah, so David just put it up. I should let you talk at some point, David, because, you know, it'd be nice. So I'm, I'm just waiting for someone to ask me something. <laughs> stuff for David, don't worry. But David mentioned in another episode how when we crowdfunded this, there were various ways people could get involved. So 
One of them was you could get a name put into the, into an episode. Excellent. Another one was you could do a line of dialogue or a, or a guest, you know, what we called, um, I think, audio walk-on roles. And so this one has examples of both. So Stephanie Bateman-Graham is someone, she's a lovely person in Perth, but, but Dave and I both know. And, uh, yeah, and it's funny that, that those name references, we did quite well at making them fairly seamless. I, mean. I thought it was a real author. I was gonna. I was about to go on line and order the book. Yeah, yeah. And um, and the other one is the that Samantha Streeter, who became one of our associate producers um, through her very uh, backing of both seasons. She plays the squidgy piggy in this episode. Yes, which is the squeak toy. <laughs> But also anyone who's ever been to a comedy festival show, Samantha Streeter is is an, a fantastic audience member as well as comedy producer in Melbourne, and she has a very distinct laugh, and you'll you'll be able to hear her on many episodes of Splendid Chaps. It's very valuable and, in a live audience. Yes, and if you hear her, you'll often hear her in a live audience. But um, yeah, the Squidgy Piggy has that laugh in it at the end, which is really lovely that we've captured that, immortalised it. <laughs> Speaking of their relationship, Eddie and Anastasia. There's a, a throwaway line to maybe playing Boggle when they're bored and they say that it did, that not, did not end, end well. well. I've been in a game of Boggle <laughs> where the Boggle pieces have been flying yeah, across yeah, the room. Yeah. If you guys ever do Kickstarter again, you need to have a reward episode where it's just half an hour of Eddie and Anastasia playing, <laughs> playing Boggle oh, until one of them rage quits. Amazing. So, okay, let's have a moment for sound advice with David, who designed all the audio elements and threads everything together. The sound is amazing in this episode because it is, uh, it's, a, it's our deliberate action episode. And action, obviously, very hard thing to do in audio because you're always a bit worried people won't be able to know where people are or what they're doing or, you know, and you want to avoid people saying what, where they are and what they're doing. Now I am here. Yeah, exactly. Now I will go there. Well, let's start with the squidgy, pi- squidgy piggy. Squid- I can't say it. It's vocal <laughs> warm-up. Squiggy piggy. Squiggy piggy. piggy. Yeah, how did you create that sound of a talking toy? As John said, uh, Samantha Streeter did the voice and it's just a, qu- a question of making it sound like it's coming from a tiny little speaker and then, you know, repeating the same thing all the time like you would get from a, from a toy. You uh, EQ out all the highs and lows so it sounds tinny and you add a tiny bit of distortion and then so it sounds like it's... You make it sound bad. Is what you make it sound bad, yeah, yeah. What did you do with the Hitlers too? Because they're all... Slightly different, aren't they? The, the um, yeah, I, I made the Marilyn Monroe sound uh, affected. The, the Hitler, when he's working right, he just sound it's there's no effect on his voice. I made the Marilyn Monroe sound more electronic to sort of distinguish them when they, when they've got the Marilyn Monroe brain. If you can't handle me at my worst, then you sure as hell don't deserve me at my best. And there is actually a whole bunch of real quotes from Hitler and Marilyn throughout the episode. And also actually a couple of, of, of famous quotes that aren't actually by Marilyn as well. But there's, um, yeah, but there's, there's we tried to, to put as much realistic stuff in. I also just like it's got lots of things like you know running around and, and pulling down shutters and things like that. Was it was yeah, was yeah. that a challenge? It was, um, the, the two things that were a challenge were one is just when they first go outside and um, you'd written the description of you know a deserted fairground or something and I thought how do I how do I make it sound like a deserted fairground you know so so there's a bit of wind noise to, to suggest desolation and then there's this uh, sort of fairground music which which I kind of based on the um, Magic Roundabout theme. <laughs> People of a certain generation will remember that. <laughs> oh, Vea's too young, that's so sad. Yeah. <laughs> is it something I need in my life or can I oh, go, go by without look it? Look it up on YouTube, yeah. it's kind of fun. It's worth having a look, yeah. yeah. But the theme tune, yeah, just, just I don't know, was always stuck in my head from childhood and it seemed like that's what a broken down 
fairy it, ground. It sounds like. a bit forlorn too. Yeah, there's yeah, something yeah. about it that it's, sounds it's all, it's all out of tune and, and yeah. wobbly. And uh, One thing I'd forgotten though, listening back today, is that that's all deliberate apparently. Like Barry... It says at one point that that's what 20th century funfairs were like. That's right. Like everything was broken and smelt bad. And that's a deliberate design feature. If you go too close to some machinery at a fairground or a show, it doesn't look as glamorous as it does from a distance. Well, I think also that everything's always old, isn't it? So like, you know, like obviously when it was first opened, everything would be shiny and glamorous and wonderful. But then, you know, as these things fall out of favour and there's always that like crunching, discordant kind of sound. But I love the fact that's how Barry built this to start with. <laughs> that's <laughs> what it's like. Yeah. Well, it's funny to re- kind of reverse engineer the engineering because mm. when I'm listening to it as someone who had nothing to do with the creative process... I don't have words for what some things are. So I just wrote down atmospheric whooshing, <laughs> which is the sound of the de- desolation in the yeah. carnival. So it's yep. just, yeah, it's interesting to think of what things are called in the script when you don't have that in front of you. There's also that lovely bit because there is, I don't know, it made me laugh again to sing on the way, the, the, you know, the beautiful pre credit sequence, which ends up with, it's Adolf Hitler. But um, that great thing where it's been sold with a little drum, this little kind of drum sound. This is, I think, the only episode of Night Terrace that has a an actual, like, dramatic underscore music. Some of the other episodes have little music transitioning from scenes and there's an, an upcoming episode that's called Disco World, which Ooh. you can imagine has some music in it. But, but this is the only one where it's actual, like, score. The reason is when we were just writing it, we, we didn't really talk about music. And um, when I came to edit the first episode, I decided it didn't need music and it would take me too long to do music <laughs> for every episode anyway. It, was, it wouldn't be possible. So we went without music. But then John had already written uh, just a couple of bits in this episode where... The joke was that there is dramatic music and then the reveal of, of something. So we decided that we would put music in this, which meant I had to go and put music in other places to, to make it all Right, and it, but it does. It really yeah. sells it. It's funny, and it's even just that yeah. drum, the little drum sound, like, immediately means Nazi. Like, it's a really weird <laughs> yeah. thing where you kind of know. It's, it's a World War Two movie. It's a World War Two sound. It's so interesting to go that the music can let you know it's World War Two. Oh, so it just felt too real for me in this current political climate. I'm like, oh, this is, they're coming. They're here. Yeah. The Hitlers are coming. <laughs> yes, it is weird. We've become a world of Barry's. Mm. Yeah. Something else that was a little random was nowhere else in the world would you ever see in, in a script or hear Marilyn Monroe's robo-elbow clanging to the ground. <laughs> And leave Marilyn's elbow. Oh, all right. I know Ben mentioned another episode. It's always fun to write things for David. Like, <laughs> like to write sound effects in. Because, yeah, I think he mentioned there was one about the sound of the entire universe being torn up, um, shoved into a tiny ball and then being reassembled again. Also. And often, if I write these things in, I have no idea. I, I just, I just want to know what David's going to do with yeah. it. <laughs> and what was the clang? Uh, I can't remember what it said in the script, but I, I just decided to make it like a... A random metal plane. Because <laughs> it's a robot elbow. One of my favourite gags was when sound and writing come together, which was the censored <laughs> beep joke. The beep. I, yeah. It was kept beeping over the Eddie's swearing and then finally Barry said, oh, let me turn off that machine. Perfect. And then later on, uh, yeah, the, the Anastasia shouts beep over, over <laughs> Eddie. And I must admit, I know, cause again, we're saying, because it's been a while, so listen to these things back, they're actually quite fresh now to us. And that weird thing where... I do, this episode does, it plays a lot with, you know, those kind of fourth wall gags, but then tries to sort of redeem them back into the, <laughs> the, the world of the show. It's because 
comedy writers take themselves very seriously and everything has to have a place. Well, there's also a thing, I think, um, with Night Terrace in general, it was always trying to decide what the the comedy language is, you know, because there's that thing, you've got to decide on a, on a universe of comedy of what kind of world is this? Like, you know, if you hit someone with a frying pan in this episode, you know, in this world, does it go boing or does it kill them? You know, you've got to choose, make decisions and you've got to try and be across the board. That's good. Um, and I remember we had a, a one of the first things, I think because I'd come off doing Outland, which was all pop culture references, was like, let's have no pop culture references. And Outland was your... Outland was a TV series that Adam Richard and I created for the ABC a few years back. And it was about a gay science fiction fan club. And so that had lots and lots of real pop culture references in it. So this I was going, let's have no pop culture references. And of course, this is an episode with Hitler and Marilyn and... <laughs> Everything like I don't think but, that rule. But they're dated pop culture references. Yes, that is true. There's nothing contemporary, but I think the whole pop culture thing did fall apart quite early on. I think we do yeah. have. Well, it's interesting to hear it now because it is a couple of years old. Because one thing that struck me was the the reference to him having a cap a cupcake franchise. Yes, which which is a quite a 2014 thing. Yeah, it's weird though. It is a, a list of things which includes though uh, a Beanie Baby uh, collection, which is yeah. uh, that's more like. 80s or 90s, I think, at, a, at, a, at an emu farm or something. I think we were trying to put all those terrible kind of get rich quick. But it all comes together. back. It's like the Beanie Babies. There's these ones now that have the big eyes that's sort of tangentially related. And then the cupcake franchises didn't go away. There's just more of them now. Yeah. So, but it was. I think. I think we've. I don't know. I feel like we've we've passed peak cupcake. Surely that that surely that's over, isn't it? No, I didn't die. <laughs> People love their sweet treats. How did you, David, make Sue? Sue's back and she's in robo form. How did you differentiate between what she was before and her robo presence and then her conking out? She starts off just, it's just her voice with that, that tinkling wind chimes in the background. And then I think it's, I think her malfunctioning and the Hitler's malfunctioning, it's a bit reduction or sample rate reduction where you basically reduce the um, quality of the digital digitalness of the voice and you, you let in all those artifacts, the glitchy sort of sounds. That was that was what I used, I think, for the malfunctioning robots, as far as I remember. I want to be loved by you. Get down. I want to be loved by Did the voice actors on the day have that kind of robotic edge to them? Like like you're a robot and they you immediately go into that I am a robot voice. Yeah, well, that's uh, with all the the voice treatments. You know, I can put on effects and things, but it has to match the performance, which is always thing. I I once for an advert was given this thing, where it had like an animated robot in it, and it had been voiced by with no effects, a woman, a woman's voice with a, a real strong regional English accent. It was an imported ad, like Lancashire or something. And they said, "Can you make her sound like a robot?" And I was like. No, because <laughs> she's, she's doing this excited young woman Lancaster accent. It's like, I can't make that sound like a robot. And we need to get somebody in to talk like a robot and then I'll put an effect on it and, and that'll work. Who would know? pre-program a robot to have a really regional accent? I, I, I don't know, but that was obviously how it went out in England. You know? I kind of like that idea. Big Fetish occasionally does really nicely unexpected robot voices. But again, like, like you're saying, you have no going in. Yeah, I, I, want them, I want the machines to sound more like machines. I don't like it when my electronic assistant, non, non-brand specific 
tells me she'll be right. I'm like, no, don't don't talk yeah, like. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I don't know. That's really interesting because obviously there's. I suppose there's also an uncanny valley of voice, isn't there? I was reading an interesting article about the fact that these assistant voices are always female and uh. it's like that we we want them to be subservient and yeah. therefore we make it female, you know. And There's someone out there writing a thesis on this yeah. right now, <laughs> yes. I promise you, and it will be fascinating. <laughs> so what does Bar- Barry resolves at the end to keep the park open but just as a like a... Would, would Anastasia suggests turning it into an Airbnb? Yeah, but, but but also I think more probably as a as a, a Zen garden or something like yeah. an idea that you go for for relaxation and maybe this is the secret origin story for Tranquilos. Oh, it did give me Tranquilos vibes. Oh wow, we, we can go back and I was say like, they're all taking place in the same universe, we but they're all in the same show. So we, can, we can write a spin off. Audio where uh, <laughs> the bridges the two. Yeah. How was Alan Brogue when he got into full levelled up Kiwi in the room? Well, he's a, he's a dream. But I mean, the, the, the amazing thing, of course, is that he wasn't in the room with the others, which for an episode with such a small cast, it's hilarious that... Because oh. um, Phil wasn't there either, was he? No, I think Phil we did separately as well. He just had to come in and be German for a day and leave. And we went to call Barry with Alan... We had arranged that Ben was going to come in and, and read with him. But in fact, Alan just did like line after line. Just... Pumped them all out. And it's amazing when you hear it all back. Like, I mean, it's, it's an editing, you know, tribute to do. He's worked over the... It's just beautiful. And things like there's that bit where they're all running towards the door and he's shouting out, this is a terrible plan! <laughs> and it's just really lovely how it all fits together. Like, it, it really feels like they're all there. Um, there's one coming up in a later season in which we, we had a guest actor come in and we knew he wanted to, we wanted to play a famous historical character and we wanted to play it with a totally anachronistic voice. <laughs> and we said, what accent have you got? And he had two. We recorded his part twice with both accents. Um, but we'll talk about that when we when we yes. get to it. But we included in the original, um, you know, for the original backers, got also one scene with him doing an alternate accent, <laughs> which amazing. was really fun. But yeah, it's, it it amazes me how easily these things mesh together in the editing, and you don't kind of find yourself going. Clearly, all those people were in different places, but you know, it works out well. Yeah. Well, that's Sound and Furors. Did you all go to lunch early when you came up with that title? Was that your title, David? Someone, it definitely no, wasn't me. It definitely wasn't mine. It definitely oh, yeah, it wasn't mine. No, because okay. I, I remember someone came up with it and I was, I was, it was brilliant. It was, I thought it might be David, but it's probably Petra but, um, or Ben or Lee or someone else entirely. <laughs> but yeah, excellent title. Yeah. Well, now we can talk supplementary material, content to keep us going until the next Night Terrace drops. Any recommendations, fellas? I, I do. Well, we're in talking about Hitler and, and alternate histories and such. There's a book by Robert Harris called Fatherland, which came out in 1992. It's set in the 60s in which the Nazis won the war. Um, and I haven't read the book. What I have heard, though, and this is what I'm recommending if you can find it, is the BBC radio adaptation of it, which is I think is also from the late 90s. It was also made into a film with, I think, Rutger Hauer or something. But... Um, it's the radio adaptation I thought was amazing. And what's incredible about it is that it's basically like a conspiracy thriller in which this guy is uncovering the existence of the concentration camps because this has been hidden by the Nazis after the war had ended. And what's amazing about it is by sort of reframing history in this totally different but recognisable genre, it's kind of you realise that that if we didn't know the concentration camps had happened, they would be almost unthinkable. You know, the idea of, of you know, he's discovering that, that the powers that be were behind a, a huge campaign of destruction and death on, a, on an industrial scale. And as he's sort of discovering that, it's a whole thing of like, you know, it goes all the way to the top because it literally does. And it literally did. And I think it's a really interesting 
it gives you a really interesting perception on history when you, you see it in a different way and go, oh my God, it just, yeah, that, that's another way of looking at it. And beautifully performed and, and yeah, and um, it shows up on BBC Radio 4 Extra from time to time, but I'm sure it must be out there somewhere. That just reminded me, I was going to say earlier, that one thing I liked that grounded this episode was that you put into Eddie's mouth the line where he voices what the history of Nazi Germany yes, was yes. in one line, like that he killed six million people. And it's important to, to make that space when you can make that space when you're being funny to mention the reality, the harsh reality yes, of what you're Yeah, because, yeah, that's, that's the whole thing. I mean, I, I, you know, Eddie is this beautiful ethical voice in this episode and I, I really liked giving him that moment. And, yeah, and he, and he goes through and, and, you know, killed Harold Holt and he goes, no, he drowned like 20 years later. He goes, yeah, I'm so angry, I'm amazed. The rest of that stuff was accurate. So it's really nice. We, we got all the facts. For those there. counting, that's our second yes. uh, Harold Holt reference. <laughs> there will be at least one more. I was counting, thank you. Oh, UK audience, yeah. We should. <laughs> I keep forgetting. Hello. They're, they're getting a potted history of our weird country. <laughs> Uh, David, what have you got for us? I'm just going to recommend a, not really Hitler-related, but another <laughs> um, another uh, narrative comedy audio. This one actually has a podcast style released uh, called Victoriosity, which is uh, steampunk uh, set in the Victorian era, and it's quite funny. Mm, cool. You can find that on usual podcasting places. I want to recommend something that I haven't consumed. It's just a reference I caught in the episode when... Anastasia says, asks Eddie if he's seen the boys from Brazil, oh. which I'd never heard of. Which, mm. And so according to the wiki summary, Dr. Joseph Mengel clones Hitler 95 times and hopes to raise the resulting boys in Brazil, giving them childhoods identical to Hitler's. Yeah, indeed he does. To create a band of Nazi leaders. But I love the joke. Is that the film with the lemurs? <laughs> yes. I'm very pleased with that joke. Again, I have a suspicion that's not my gag. I think it might be yours or Dan's oh, yeah. maybe. But yeah, yeah. No, I, I also I quite like the fact that that's Anastasia thinking through some possibilities, but it's actually wrong. So the thing she's thinking about there is yeah, that yeah. maybe these are clones. But yeah, it's not true at all. Should I watch it? Has anyone seen, have you seen I've it? I've seen it. Yeah, it's a classic film. I mean, it's one of those weird films where the, the, the description basically tells you the entire movie. <laughs> like, you know, so there's not a lot of surprise. <laughs> but it's it's worth having well, a look. I think I think when I saw it as a kid on television, it, it I didn't know what was coming, so it was a bit of a surprise. Yeah, I love that we you would we would watch things like that as kids because <laughs> you yeah. have to wait for the kid show to come on. Sitting down for a Hitler movie, Mum. <laughs> Just the ninety five Hitlers. Uh, and if that doesn't work out for you... 95 Hitlers is the worst romantic comedy ever, isn't it? <laughs> I just remembered something I can recommend that is Hitler-related. Um, Turned into the Hitler podcast so quickly. Catherine Heigl in 95 Hitlers. <laughs> there was this show in the late 70s, early 80s I used to watch called The Tomorrow People, which was British commercial television's attempt at a show that would rival Doctor Who... Only it was made on an even smaller budget. <laughs> um, they used to envy the budget of Doctor Who, apparently. But it, it had an episode where uh, Nazism becomes fashionable and all the kids are going out to um, nightclubs uh, wearing, like, you know, swastikas and things. And um, she sounds like a great premise for something now. That sounds like yeah, a, yeah. yeah. You can, well, you can this do is something. real. That's why <laughs> this this would have been made about the time that punk was happening, and mm -hmm. and punks often put swastikas on their clothes. Well, then I should recommend my favourite movie slash World War Two movie, which is The Sound of Music, 
why does the flag with the black spider on it make people nervous? It's always a surprise when the, when the Nazis yeah. show up in that film. I never expect it. Because it's like, bedtime and you're meant to turn it off then and go to bed. Look, look well, I want to throw more Hitler in. Okay, so a thing that you probably shouldn't watch because it's terrible is Heil Honey, I'm Home. No. Yeah, British comedy from, I want to say late 80s, I think only one episode ever aired. Um, Thankfully. And it was an ep- it was basically about the Hitlers lived next door to a Jewish family and it was done like Da-da-da-da-da-da. a 1950s. Yeah, no, but it was done like a 1950s honeymooners type thing. I, I've watched some of it. I still don't know what the point is. Like it's, you feel like I don't quite know what this is or why. That's quite notorious. Um, and I'm also going to throw in Look Who's Back, um, which is a novel by, it's a German novel by uh, Timur Vermes. There is a film version as well, which wasn't quite as good. But it was a really interesting film in which Hitler basically just sort of wakes up in the current day in, <laughs> in Berlin. That sounds like a great time. And becomes a kind of cult figure as this guy who dresses up as Hitler. It's a... Like Austin Powers. Well, more. He becomes a political figure and then he's they give him a TV show where he like shouts inappropriate things and stuff and it's it's a really interesting book about the media and about and, and history and, and present day politics. And yeah. present day politics. It's actually, yeah, so that's an interesting book. We can't recommend any more stuff because Ben's going to type up the show notes. <laughs> yeah, poor Ben. Hate us forever. But I will say, if Hitler's not your jam, grab Boggle out of the cupboard <laughs> and have a game. Thank you, John. Thank you. David. Thank you. Learn more about this podcast and Night Terrace itself at nightterrace.com or look it up on bbc.co.uk or the BBC Radio iPlayer app. Or BBC Sounds or whatever it's called this week. You can tweet us your own version of what that app is called at Night Terrace, hashtag on the terrace. I host a podcast all about neighbours, the show Neighbours. It's called Neighbours, the Neighbours Recap Podcast. All of our episodes are at neighbourspod.com. Oh, wait, I've been misunderstanding. I thought you had a podcast about your neighbours. And I thought that was creepy. That's no, extremely dull. We don't talk to each other. Okay. I don't know. My podcast about your neighbours is going quite well. <laughs> Actually, my podcast about my neighbours would just be me stealing the lemons off of the Greek lady next door's lemon tree. Well, I can tell you your neighbour's podcast about you is quite interesting. <laughs> I haven't seen a dime from that podcast. Hang on, who's on first? <laughs> You can join us for episode six as recap next time and we'll have another cup of tea on the terrace. Bye. You have been listening to On the Terrace, a Splendor Chaps production. Find more entertainment for your ears at splendorchaps.com.